Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system, and L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, welcome to the Winners Find a Way Show. I am your host, Trent Clark, serial entrepreneur, international speaker, CEO of AIM, Athletic Influencer Marketing, an NIL education company, and I am a longtime coach, professional baseball coaching in three World Series, and I am with my good friend, Brian Gillette. Brian, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well, Trent. It's great to be on your show. It's good to be talking to somebody who's a World Series, you know, athlete. Well, I got to tell you, it's pretty good to be talking to someone who's done some ultra marathoning because, like, I think you're crazy. Like, I just want to know. Like, I have done triathlons. I mean, Olympic, no longer than that. And man, when I think about it, like, I absolutely loved You Can't Hurt Me. You know, I, I love the book, I enjoyed the tales, and I think he's crazy. So, you know, when I just like come down to it, people used to ask me all the time, hey, Trent, you're going to do the Ironman? And I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, no, no, no. I know what my body's like capable of and this isn't it. So how'd you get into that? You know, your body's probably capable of, capable probably of it. Yeah, it's, sure. You know, I, the Olympic distance, it's a very healthy distance. Yeah. You know, once you start doing the Ironmans and the long distance stuff that, that, you know, that I've done or other people have done, it tends to be a little bit less of a healthy distance. But I have always loved long distance. I, I've been a cyclist all my life. And, and I remember as a kid, I was a teenager and rode my bike. I, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and I rode my bike 200 miles up to Yosemite. And, and I did it with my parents which was great. And it got me that love of cycling even more so. And then I started to do longer cycling stuff and, you know, it was come down from Canada a couple of times and then eventually rode across the United States by myself. Wow. And, and I just enjoyed the excitement of it. I enjoyed the goal, having that goal. I enjoyed kind of getting to the finish line. And, yeah. and so I always liked, what's that thing that's going to push me? And I was doing a 300 mile kind of one day ride. It was, it was going to be 24 hours. <laughs> it's like a one year ride for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it was something that it's like, I want to see where my mind and body will stop. And I yeah. thought 300 miles, first time I was doing 24 hours, I thought this will be it. And I, it's probably about two or three in the morning, Trent. And I'm, I can see the finish line. I'm, I'm like 25 miles away. So it's like, I'm almost done. Yeah. And I realized, okay, I've done a lot in cycling. I, you know, now I, I want to go do something. I want to run. I, I, you know, I want to run a marathon because that's kind of the ultimate in, if you're going to run, running a marathon is kind of the, the ultimate or it's kind yeah. of, it's, it's one of the big things. And I'm going to go sign up for it. I'd never really been a runner did the marathon. And then as most crazy things occur, I was sitting around with a couple buddies and one of them said, Hey, we ought to do a 50 miler. And it's like, okay. And so then that we did some 50 milers and then, you know, because you, I think you've got a little bit of craziness in you yeah. that 50 miler turned into, okay, let's do, I'm going to do a hundred miler. 
And then there's a 200 mile run that goes around Lake Tahoe. It's all at elevation, kind of between six and 10,000 feet. Yeah. And it just, and I, you know, I live about three and a half miles or three and a half hours from Lake Tahoe. And it's just a great place. It's one of the prettiest places in the world. Yeah. And I thought that would be a really cool run to go around that. So that's kind of what got me into it. And 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 you did that. You did a 200 miler around Lake Tahoe. Yeah, 76, uh, 205.5 miles, 76 and a half hours, and about 90 minutes of sleep throughout that day. So you are to do it straight through. That's the goal is to, as best you can, go straight through. Yeah, so you have 100 hours to do it. And in that 100 hours, you can sleep when you want to sleep. You can Mm -hmm. run when you want to run. You can walk. and, And so you just have that 100 hours. So it starts in you know the lake and goes all the way around it. You know, so. first of all, my initial experience was a pretty young man in Tahoe. My wife and I honeymooned there when yeah. I was 25 and just loved it. And I was loving it because I was hitting the snot out of the golf ball. I was like, man, I am mashing the ball up here. Like, I, you know, and didn't realize. And then brilliantly on my honeymoon, my wife and I both played college tennis. I went out and this lovely day in Lake Tahoe, which was, which was like, I think it was Ju- like July one around there. You better know what month it was. Yeah. Like, if- yeah. Honeymoon is kind of weird, but it was like July one. And like, you know, two weeks before for graduation, they had 14 inches of snow on June 5th for graduation. And now it's this gorgeous, sunny, you know, 78 degree day, of course, which I take my shirt off on the tennis court. Like, this is fabulous. And you'll probably know the result of this, Brian, which is I got smoked, right? Like I got sunburned so bad that I'm the guy on a honeymoon going, no, honey, don't touch me. (laughs) Red. Head to toe. Like I am lobster red and I do not burn easily. And I thought, man, you know what happens when you get 7,000 feet above sea level and that much closer to the sun, it's a little different gig, right? Yes, the air changes, Trent. (laughs) Yeah, man. So I was like, yeah, lesson learned, hard one to learn, but just love the area. I mean, just incredible. So, but also, I mean, what, not only tough ever to do 200 200 miles, but man, at that elevation, I mean, you you talk about it. I mean, it's still legendary of the 60 Olympics about how hard, it was breathing up there. People talked about, yeah. you know, Tao was tough. And so, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And I'm sure because you do have some ultra marathoners who are, you know, coastal folks, right? And you're like, hey, we're going to go up to Tahoe and do this. I've been training at sea level, like get ready because this is a problem. And most of my training was down at sea level. I live in the San Francisco Bay area. And, you know, I would purposely go up and up and spend a number of long weekend up in Tahoe and train at elevation and train on the course. But now when you're doing the ultra distance, I mean, big difference between doing a marathon and doing anything ultra is a marathon. You know, a lot of people are going to run the entire thing. And And when you get into the ultras, you have to be able to know when to run and when to walk. So walking is, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, I'm not going to walk in a marathon or in in a half marathon. Longer stuff, you have to walk. So that's a lot easier to breathe. So you're not operating at a really high heart rate in some of these So important. So important to navigate. There's a lot of things going on that you have to navigate for such a thing. You know, you're knowing your whole body for 205 miles. I mean, knowing when to push, when not to. But Brian, so excited that you're here on the Winners Find a Way show. Tell them real quick where they can find you. Yeah. So a number of ways you can find me is my website's epicperformances.com. So E-P-I-C performances with an S.com. You can go on in LinkedIn and connect with me. Those are two of the ways.
place you can find me. Okay. So getting to know you a little bit, you know, you're an ultra marathoner, you're an executive coach, you know, you've been a world traveler, you're an author of epic performances where you went out, interviewed a hundred high performers, just world beaters and kind of collected the data, if you will, on that about what it meant to achieve. Is that fair? Exactly. I wanted to understand. So I knew what it took for me to cross a finish line of a 200 mile run or a 300 mile bike ride. So I knew what I did. And a lot of people would come up to me and say, oh, I could never do that. And that that pulled at me, Trent. It's like, no, you can. And so I wanted to understand what do other people do in order to achieve big things. And so yeah. I, it's like, I want to interview a hundred people. And you know, I, I just kind of pulled that number out. I'd like to say it was some scientific number, but it was just hundred people. And most of those people were on the corporate side, about 75% on the corporate side. So C-level folks, founders of owners, companies, yeah. Yeah. owners. Yeah. And then about a quarter of them were ultra distance athletes. So people who had done the equivalent of an, a full Ironman or more you know, okay. hundred mile run. Minimum um, qualification. Yes. I, talked to two I make people. it as the founder, not on the ultra stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, I talked to two people who had done seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, you qualify. You make it. And by the way, <laughs> I want to ride on the jet. You know? yeah, and, that's <laughs> right. and it's one of these things that's like, oh, you know, that does sound really cool. So. Yeah. I had a college instructor at the University of Toledo and he did, I think he was going for 50 marathons in 50 days. Okay. I remember that he was regular on doing two or three marathons per weekend where yeah. he would get training and he would go to Columbus and he'd run the first one. And then the second one would be in Pittsburgh the next day. And I'm thinking, I'm just trying to picture after, you know, even Olympic, right? Even Olympic, which is, I don't know if that's equivalent to a marathon. Even after Olympic triathlon, I'm trying to figure like how I would feel after I got out of the car after driving five hours. After, you know, like, you know, you can't move anyway. The moment you stop, it's rough, right? You know, and, so, and it's funny because I remember when, you know, I had just completed this 300 mile bike ride and in my head, I wanted to, I thought I want to train for a marathon. And I, I literally, I was not a runner. And my friends used to joke about how slow I was. And I thought, okay, I, you know, I was working from home one day and at lunchtime I went down to our local running store, bought a pair of shoes and they thought, I'm going to just do this four mile loop around kind of, it's not far from my house. And I did the four mile loop, came back, you know, in the afternoon, I'm, you know, I've been sitting on meetings for a few hours and I got to go upstairs and go to the bathroom. And I go, I start walking upstairs and my legs are killing. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, I just did four miles. And I'm, you know, I was in really good shape if I, I, and it's like four miles, man, this marathon is going to be hard, but you do four miles and then next week you do five miles. So, you know, that guy you were talking about, he can do an Olympic and then, or do a marathon and, you know, he gets into the shape where it's like, okay, I'm going to do another one. So you just, you work up to that. It's amazing with how the body will adapt, right? Yeah. Well, and I think more importantly, it's how the mind adapts as well. Well, and I think that's what came out of, you know, you can't hurt me, right? Is really you know he's like physically i think i can push my body to about anything you know running around on a broken you know tibia right like the guys yeah. <laughs> again you know a whole nother level there and uh, but that's cool so san francisco bay area you know you've written this book very cool so we want to get into that a little bit uc davis grad mba out of cal state hayward that's cool yeah. now you got a wife couple kids yeah yep you know a couple things that 
most people probably don't know about you is that you and the wife took off and went around the world for, you know, almost a year together and then decided like, hey, we're going to do this with our kids too. Like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and listen, they're eight and 10, you know, the school is just good homeschooling online, whatever, like lots of options. So Walk me through why you thought, hey, this is a great idea. This is going to be great. So my wife and I, before we got married, we had met about a year before, and and I was looking to do something a little different. I was I had a, a decent job. I you know I loved the people I worked with, but our company was acquired, and I thought, you know, I'm thinking about going and traveling in the world. And at the time, I was thinking I was going to bicycle around the world and spend maybe you know a year to two years just cycling around. And then I met this woman who eventually became my wife, and I threw out the idea. I said, hey, you want to go travel around the world. And I don't know who's more crazy, me for throwing out the idea of, or, or her for saying, sure. And <laughs> and so we, we spent seven months. We I took we both took sabbaticals from our work. And it was one of these things that you know, we were in our kind of early to mid 30s, I believe it was. And I thought, you know, I'm going to regret not doing this. You know, if I think back, you know, it's like, because it's going to it's going to be hard. You know, I'm leaving a very comfortable house and I'm leaving a very comfortable job where I'm making plenty of money. And now I'm going to have, I'm going to be living out of a backpack. But I also knew that if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. So we spent seven months traveling around the world. Right before we came home, we were in China on the Great Wall and I had proposed to her. Fortunately, she said yes. And then shortly yes. after, before we met, before we came home, we met this family that they were traveling around and with their kids. And we both looked at each other. We're sitting in this cafe in Prague. We looked at each other and because we knew we were coming home, getting married and we'd have kids. And we said, you know, we should do that when our kids are at the right age. And, you know, we had two kids. They were two years apart. And so when they were eight and 10, we took off and traveled around the world for a year took him out of school. And it was, I will tell you, it was one of the best decisions that uh, that we've made. That's awesome. I think it's so cool, man. I love it, man. And you know, we've homeschooled our five children and some, you know, went to school. And you call me time. crazy? You homeschool right? five children? I I, I, so <laughs> no, no. That's a different level of <laughs> no. crazy trend. Yeah. No, you're right. It's crazy talking to crazy. I get it. You know, like, so yeah, it's, and when I say we, I should say my wife. I mean, my <laughs> wife has been certainly the proponent. Both of us have educational degrees from the university and, you know, highly regard education, but man, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of way to educate and yeah. man, this world is an absolute just ball of education, right? And getting out and traveling and seeing those cultures, like I just thought, I always thought we would do that. Like we would do that with our kid. And I certainly had that vision <laughs> when there was five, it was like, Hey, how would we do that? Right? You're going to need a so, bus. Yeah. And then I thought like, then I'm having partridge families. Cause that, you know, that's my dime. Like I'm dating myself, but now I'm having partridge family yeah. background, you know, flashbacks. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's admirable, man. And I don't think, I know like those kids will never forget it. I mean, impact. I, I went on a mission trip with my son for two mm -hmm. weeks in Ecuador when he was 10, yeah. changed his life. You know, those are the, I changed mine. I mean, like it's people and, and it's, it's just fabulous. And it's so fabulous to recognize, you know, we are all different people yet all the same. Right. And yeah. so it's just, and, and our priorities are much more aligned than people think. You know, yeah. when we are, we have this innate uh, desire to raise our children, be good parents, be good partners, contribute to society, you know, be good people for other people, give to others. And I just think there's some real underlying values that, you know, literally 99% of humans share. 
You know, and I, I love how you talk about that, Trent, because often when we think of a country, we think of who their their politics yeah. and who their political leader is and whether we agree with them or whether they like the United States or not. Yeah. And, and I know people do that of us. They'll look at the U.S. and go, oh, man, you've got a nut as a president. What, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Yep. And but at the end of the day, you know, when you are you're sitting down with somebody in another country, they as just as you said, they still have similar needs that you do. And it's I have, you know, people often will ask, it's like, oh, you know, weren't you nervous when traveling through fill in the blank? Yeah. And Guatemala, like, Ecuador, Guatemala. No. It, we were in Middle East. Yeah, yeah, Middle East. We were in Israel. We were in Palestine. Yeah, we were in Colombia. And people think, by the way, I love it. Colombia is gorgeous. By the it, way, <laughs> it <laughs> is. And it's a the beautiful people, place. Beautiful, beautiful people. And people are so friendly. And people think, you know, they think Colombia. If you're from the United States, you think Colombia. You think drug trade. You think you're going to get shot. And you're going to get killed. Yeah. Or you. Everyone's you, Pablo Escobar. Right. Or you go into a Middle East country and you're going to get attacked by some terrorist. And it's like yeah. your chances. And, and I look at a lot of kind of risk versus reward is yeah. your chances of getting caught in a terrorist activity are not what you should be worried about. Yeah. I mean, people, when they when we traveled around the world you know, with our kids, they say, weren't you worried? And, you know, and I said, you know, there was only one time that I was somebody tried to rob me. And that was in Paris. So, and people yeah. think, oh, Paris, yeah, that's safe. But it's the yeah, big safe environment. City. Like, yeah, like, yeah, listen, you're no. down by the Louvre and all the tourists. You better keep, keep your hands near your pockets, man. Right. We just got yeah. back from Italy and walking around Rome, and people said, oh, you really got to watch your pockets because you're going to get pickpocketed. And it's like, yep. I was more on edge there than yeah. I was in any place in Africa. Yeah. Welcome so. to the Vatican, the most dangerous right. place you could get. Like, like, right. I mean, it's funny, though. I mean, it's funny to look at. And I, I had a very similar experience. Brian, that you'll appreciate, I think, is when I was in Ecuador, we were talking about going into the Amazon, right? We're going into yeah. the rainforest. And, you know, of course, I know the story of, you know, Nate Saint and, and you know, being captured. I had a, a missionary friend of mine whose brother was taken by gorillas, like mm. not that long ago, right? Like mm -hmm. taken across, across the river into, uh, I can't think of the country. I don't know if it was Honduras or which one there. I can't recall the neighboring and, uh, but yeah, crazy stuff. Right. And I remember in the jungle talking about a testimony going United States. Oh my gosh, New York, what a dangerous place. I saw those planes go into the buildings and I went, oh yeah, that's right. Like crap looks really dangerous considers how it's presented. Right. Like, right. You know, it's like, Hey, listen, I don't want to get eaten by a Python in the Amazon and you don't want planes flying into your buildings. Like I get it. Like we all got fears in this world and you know, we know in America, it's a big space, right? And we have our own cultures right here. Like you, you go to New York, whoa, Boston, whole nother culture, right? What is that? Like, you know, 250 miles apart or something? I mean, maybe not even. And then Texas and Florida and the Southeast yeah. and the Southwest and the Northeast. And it's just, it's very different dialects and cultures and values. And, but at the end of the day, there's really an underlying human value, right? And, and I is. think that we, we don't, we for people that haven't done it, you know, and I, I get hard on people, Brian, when, when we start bashing America. I don't care for it because I have a very thick passport. And, you know, when I see that, I'm like, hey, man, you better go find out. You better go find out what things are like other places. And, yeah. you know, and it doesn't mean it's bad because there's poverty. It doesn't 
mean it's bad. It just means there's challenges there. There's challenges for running water. There's challenges there to feed their children. There are challenges there to provide clothing. You think these aren't needs here, right? Like these are already established. I mean, and so our basic needs, what I like to say about Americans is we don't have needs anymore. We just have wants. You know, you say it so well, Trent. I mean, you're right. And that's that's what I wanted our kids to understand. I mean, I I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, in, in the United States, we are in a bubble. Yeah. And and granted, we have our problems in the United States. I, you know, we are not a perfect society. I think we're a pretty darn good one. And yeah. I choose to live here. But in Cal in the United States, we live in a bubble. I think in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's a bubble. And then where I live in this just kind of this idyllic little community, it's a bubble. And Another so bubble. Yeah. yeah, it's just the it's and I don't worry about a lot of things compared to what so many other people in the world are worrying about. And I wanted our kids to realize this that hey, you got a pretty good thing going on here. Yeah. I mean yeah. you don't worry when you turn on you can drink water out of the faucet. Out of your hose, if you want to. Out of your like, hose. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, like, like right? you you and I are probably the same age. We we'd, we'd yeah. we were thirsty. We would go get the hose, turn it on, and it would be yeah. burning hot coming out for the first <laughs> two minutes. Let it run. Yeah, let, let it run. It run. For about 30 seconds. Yeah, and then, then you're good. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, kids yeah, think they mean, don't, they yeah, don't, they don't understand. The they don't understand the language. <laughs> there's, there's a filter probably on the hose. Yeah. Yeah, we we only buy filtered hoses. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, right? That's funny the way you say the bubbles. I, you know, America, it's a big bubble bath, right? It is. And, which is true. Like, it's cushy. It's comfortable. I like it's my lavender, bubble. man, compared yeah. to the rest of the world. You don't know, man. And so it's uh, it's one of those challenging things that I think I, I wish more of us would experience and experience regularly. And, and it's probably what's really cool about the internet and travel and things is like it got really the world got a lot smaller in the last 30 years you know and i think that's pretty cool it hasn't always served perfectly right because of that but it is really cool and you know i I always find this you know you know i even think about like sport where you know we have been like the most divided over football probably forever right like u.s (laughs) football and england football right like but now we have ted lasso we're like you know we have more kids now in soccer as kids than little league right yeah and so you know, it's just, it's transition over the years because we're a bunch of mutts. We're all from somebody or somewhere else. And we're yeah. made from people from all over the world. And that's how it was created. And it's fine. And so a little bit of those cultures creep into us. And man, to honor those things is just really cool that differences don't mean bad or better. It just means difference. You're just a little bit different. And understanding, I mean, when you have sat in a country and you kind of understand why they are, you know, the way they are, and it's like it helps you appreciate their situation a little bit more. Uh, And so that's why I love traveling. It puts me into uncomfortable situations. There's no doubt about it. But when you're in uncomfortable situations, that's when we learn. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, important. I think it's one of those things that probably about me that most people know is that when I hear challenge and problem, I perk up like, this is going to be awesome. And they're like, yeah. no, 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 you didn't hear Like it's all going wrong. I'm like, right. This is going to be great. This like, is going to be great. And you know, I, this I, is the coaching teaching moments. This is where yeah. we change. Like if it was all good, you wouldn't change anything and you wouldn't get better. And this is why employees freak me out when employees go, oh my gosh, 
there's a problem and they're asking me to fix it. I'm like, hey, if there weren't problems and challenges and you never had to fix anything, you probably wouldn't have a job. And I would say probably the reason you are who you are today or where you got, I mean, you don't get to be in the World Series because you see a problem and you go, oh yeah, there's a problem. I'm going to walk away. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's too hard. That's yeah, you had a lot of strikeouts, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And, and there are those people that have a strikeout who get striked out and they're walking back to the bullpen. And it's like, oh, I just can't do this. Yeah. There's those people and they don't move on. And then there's those people. It's like, okay, you know, I, I, I miss those. And I got to try. I got to learn from that. Yeah. And the next time I'm not going to get, I'm going to make it to first base. So, yeah. and, th and that was a big thing that I learned just talking to people is they see these obstacles and it's like, okay, I, I can get around that or th okay, that didn't work. So let me try something different. And, and I can see that attitude in you and, and it has to be just kind of core of who you are for given what you've accomplished. Well, I think like you probably learned, you know, let's, let's come to your book here in Epic Performances. Obviously, you know, I have this little talk I do, Brian, about the audit of excellence. Because, you know, my high school went to three state championships my sophomore right. through senior year. Then my I went to the National Junior College Championships in tennis the next two years. And then I went yeah. to a Division One school we competed. And then I went to professional baseball. I went to a World Series in my first two years and two in my first four years. And so all of a sudden, in this like 11-year span, I'd been in like seven championships at that level just going, why is it going well? Why isn't it going well? When we, when we do well, why do we win? Just like you ask these 100 people. Yeah. How do you really perform well and not only do it once, but create that big itty of sustainability, right? And like keep it that level because that's probably probably one of the most epic things, if I can use that word, about Alabama football. Like everybody knows they're the best and they're gunning for them and they still stay up there, right? And that's when usually everybody falls. Everyone's and the Yankees are kind of like that, right? So talk yeah. to me a little bit about epic performances and what you learned along the way. Yeah. So uh, first of all, what EPIC performance, kind of what EPIC stands for is how do you envision the big things in life? You know, mm. you've got to have a vision of where you want to go. So I'm guessing there were many times you as a, as a, a small kid were sitting in your bed, just thinking about being at the world series. Yeah. And you knew what that looked like. And people who reach a, a high level can envision the future and they know, okay, I am, I know what the world series looks like and that's where I'm going. So the E is how do you envision the big things? I want to hold you there because yeah. that's really big for people. I really want people to get this because this is something that it's not easy for everybody to see right. and being able to communicate that vision to people that you need to get there and you want to take them along this journey for that ride is not easy. And yeah. But what's really neat is you hear people say, I don't know if you've ever heard people say this, Brian, how you doing? Living the dream, right? And so when I think about that vision, I created a dream in my mind and I was dreaming about it, you know, playing wiffle ball in the backyard, bottom of the ninth, two yeah. strikes on Clark, you know, all those things I was just, and then, you know, when I was 25 years old, I looked out of a dugout in Cleveland, Ohio and went, you know, man, everybody around here is actually living this dream that they all had. We are all yeah. just right in the middle of it, living it. And it's awesome. Right? How cool is that? Right. And so yeah. when you get this vision and then you get to act it out and go on this journey for it. It's incredible. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, e, you, you can't go towards the future unless you can see it. I, and I'll give you an example. I was working with this one woman and she was trying to pass her law exam and she had taken it three times and hadn't passed it. 
and she was just missing it just by a hair and she knew yeah. the stuff. And so I was talking to her and I came to realize she knows what failure looked like. She wasn't able to see what success looked like. And I said, start thinking about what success looked like. And we walked through an exercise just to envision success, envision taking the test and then envision getting the results back and says you passed. I mean, you work with a lot of athletes and, you know, Michael Phelps, he envisions what it, it's going to look like when he's going out to the end of the lap and coming back and, and touching before anybody else does. He envisions that before a race. Yeah. So the E is envision. The P in Epic is how do you put a plan in place? You know, once you see what the future is, then how do you go ahead and put that plan in place? And, and one of the first things about the P, you know, one of the chapters in that is just start doing something. Mm. You know, if, if you want to run a marathon, don't worry. You know, the first thing you should do is just go out and buy a pair of shoes or sign up for something. Don't worry about getting a full blown training and running plan. Just move forward. I was talking to a, a woman who she wanted to quit her corporate job and start her own company. And she was kind of, she was putting the plan together. I said, just do something in the next 72 hours that moves you forward. Buy your domain name, put together, you know, a name of a product, something really small. Open an account. Get an open, LLC. Open an account. Yeah. Just something. Doesn't have to take a lot of time in the next 72 hours and then repeat that and then keep repeating that. You know, it's that whole adage that, you know, put one step in front of the other and soon you'll be walking out the door, mm -hmm. you know? So the P is plan. I is iterate to the plan. You know, mm. you don't start playing in the World Series. You start in T-ball. Yeah. <laughs> and then you move to Little League and you work your way up. You don't start running a marathon. You start running two miles and it hurts. And then you run three miles and it hurts. And you keep doing that and you work your way up. If you're, you don't start as a CEO of a company. So you start off at a lower level and you work, you, you get success and, and you build confidence. Confidence comes from, you know, successes at smaller levels. So the I is iterate, the C is collaborate, learn from somebody else. I'm sure you had a lot of coaches. You were a coach. Somebody has done this before. You know, there really isn't anything that somebody, you know, new, there's not a lot of new stuff out there that somebody hasn't done before. So learn from their successes, learn from their failures, and people are very willing to share. So yep. the C's collaborate. And lastly, you got to go out and perform it. So I, I look at, you know, if, if you think about like a marathon or an ultra, the epic gets you to the starting line, the envision, plan, iterate, collaborate. The performance gets you from the starting line to the finish line. That's where you got to persevere. That's where the hard, you know, kind of stuff comes in. Yeah. Love it. So let's talk about a couple of things you learned along the way. You do these interviews, you, you find out that like, wow, a bunch of key things that there's some synergies and there's some things you see along the way. So let's put these things around the winners find a way quote, which is, you know, on our show, I love the quote from the four disciplines of execution, which was winners when shown data that they're losing, find a way to win. And, you know, I've surrounded myself with people in my life that take that attitude very easily found in, in Major League Baseball. Although, you know, a lot of people think like, man, you know, some of the best players who are very skilled don't actually have this quality. There's a lot of them like, oh, my gosh, I've never actually faced failure and challenge because I've been so good at so levels and so talented above everybody else. The first time they actually face adversity, it's a real challenge. And 
I look at someone like Ken Griffey Jr., who was so talented, right? He was one of the best baseball players. His father was a major league player. And, you know, then he goes in and at 31 or 32, when his health starts just really going bad, it's like, hey, Ken, the way you've always done it isn't going to work. You have to do this all different. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what do you mean? This is like a lot of training time, a lot of prep work, a lot of, you know, in the training table and all these things that I've got to do. Like, I don't know if I want to go back and do that. Like, I'm not so motivated after years and years of, of a lot of success with no guarantees that, by the way, if I do all these things, I'm going to have the same success when I'm 22, which is unlikely, really, because your body at 35 is not the same at 22. <laughs> As I speak about, you know, 53 writing checks, my body can't cash, right? And, and all the time. So let's walk through some of these steps and kind of let's apply that onto that. Is that fair? Yeah, no, that's, okay. that's good. So what's one of those first kind of initial key things that you learned from these interviews that you thought, Hey, there's some commonalities amongst these really world beaters and high performers that really understand epic performance. What's one of those first things? They're extremely focused. So they know what they want and they're going that way. You know, they're not focusing on 17 different things. They're focusing on one or two things that they're going to be great at. And they stay focused on that, you know, kind of along those lines is, you know, I, I talk about in some of the, the presentations and keynotes that I give is we all have 168 hours in the week. You know, you do, I do. That's the one thing that we, you know, we are very similar on. You know. <laughs> great commonality. <laughs> We're great commonality. We all have, but you know, you, you talk to somebody and, and they'll say, oh, you know, I, I, I want to exercise more. And it's like, okay, why not? I don't have enough time. Well, you have the same amount of time as Trent does, and he's getting up at five in the morning and going and exercising. So it's about priority. And so those people that are extremely focused, they know where to spend that hunt, those 168 hours, and they know what they're going to do and they know what they're not going to do. So that's mm. kind of one of the big thing. You know, I was just talking to somebody the other day, um, a woman that I'm coaching, and she said, I, I, I want to exercise more, but I'm, I'm so busy at work. I said, well, you know, how important is? Oh, it's extremely important. Okay. Is it important than all these other things? Well, yeah, it is. Okay, then let's put it on your calendar. Yeah. So focus is a big one. That's a big one. Yeah, and I, and I think about some of the coaches, right? There's a lot of coaches that you see that are ultra-focused. Saban over at Alabama, you know, I coached with him for a while. Ultra-focused guy, very good. When I think about the, the really well-focused coaches, I think about no one likes to play the second half against the Belichick team mm. because he's so focused. Like he's, he's figuring out exactly what you're doing. And so he has that, hey, I've got the data that you're up, Atlanta Falcons, you know, 20 plus points on us at halftime, but we have a second half plan and we're going to adjust our plan accordingly. And it's like, not only does he adjust the plan, but he's so focused and has that team so focused that, hey, this is how I think we get back in it. And we've practiced all these things. We've prepared for these things. I know we love adaptability as a leadership prospect, right? We love yeah. adaptability in our team members, but I find a lot of leaders don't give their folks the time and reps of what they're going to need to adapt to. Like, hey, we'd like you to adapt to something. But like you said, Brian, if you get ready for the ultra marathon and then you haven't ridden for two years and then I go, hey, listen, looks like it's going to be bad weather. You're going to have to get on the bike and do a 500 miler. And you're like, whoa, 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 man. I'm going to have saddle sores. I'm going to have all sorts of issues with that. I haven't been on the bike. Well, we need to adapt. You're not adaptable. Well, hold on. Did I give well, you the chance? That adaptability and that that comes with practice. And, and I do think it's, you know, go out and run in the rain. Yeah. Because when it's raining on course, you're going to have run in it. And, and I look, yeah. you know, we go back. I have, you know, I, I have two kids. You've got five is COVID wasn't fun for the kids. 
And, And I remember doing a kind of a short radio editorial about how, you know, a lot of people are complaining about, you know, our kids aren't in school, so they're going to lose out on their math and they're going to lose out on their English and stuff. And I, I was t- kind of taken, you know, I always looked for the silver lining in something. And, you know, it was hard from in 2020 and 2021 to find that silver lining. But what I looked at is our kids, yeah, they're going to miss out on some math. They're going to miss out on some English. But what they're learning to do is they're learning to be a little bit more adaptable. And so everything you and I probably interview for people, you know, we're not going to look to see, you know, can they add six and six or can, do they know what polynomials are? Yeah. We're going to look at how do they deal with change? How flexible are they? And that's kind of what I thought was the silver lining for COVID is our kids learned that. You know, Microsoft Word's going to fix their spelling error and Microsoft Excel is going to help them with the math. But that adaptability that you talk about, I'm hopeful. And we'll, we'll see years, you know, years later, do our kids, kids come out kind of more resilient, more adaptable. When you are put under pressure, you learn to be under pressure. You know, I, I'm, I mean, sure, you know, when you were standing up in your first world series games, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, fortunately, you know, I guess, unfortunately, fortunately, I wasn't playing, I was coaching. Okay. okay, Yeah. But I really appreciate the fact that how much that takes, and people ask me about that all the time about man, when these kids that are just young kids and they got to go out and play this big game, aren't they nervous? Like, yeah, but you got a lot of reps practicing what we need to get done. And I love coaches when coaches, the last thing I want to see a coach is like, oh, it's raining. We shouldn't go outside. I'm like, oh, of course you should go outside. Go outside. This is the time. Go get those hard reps in an environment that's not comfortable for people and see how these kids react. See what's going to happen. And they're going to build some confidence. They got confidence for me comes from prep and reps. You know, are you prepared for that? And have you got the reps doing that that you feel like, hey, I can do this well? I mean, and, and driving's a really simple example of that. Like no one's confident in driving when you're 16 years old, but and by the time you're 30, you can get up in the grocery store and do 19 things while you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> you should, Cheryl. but you're, you're right. And, and I remember as I was training for the Tahoe 200 run, and it was, there were days that some weeks I was exercising 30 hours a week. And wow. I would have to get up and run 30 miles today and run 30 miles tomorrow and run 30 miles the next day. And I remember it's like, oh my God, this is hard. And then you get up at three or four in the morning and you hear that it's raining outside and there's nothing more you want to do is just crawl back in bed. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I could crawl back in bed, but if I get out and I train when it's a miserable day, when it starts raining on course, and it did, it's like, I've done this before. Yeah. So it, it, it is that kind of, you got to just do the reps over and over and you got to do it when it's hard. Yeah. Talk to me real quick about, you know, some of the other key characteristics. You know, in terms of the, the epic? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the other one is the optimism. And it, it's it's something I, you know, as I talked to you know, optimistic versus pessimistic people. And, I, yep. and as I was talking to these hundred people, most of them have a very optimistic outlook on things. And what's inter- interesting about some of the research be- between optimism and pessimism is the optimistic person, when they get knocked down, they think, oh, man. You know, that was just a rare event and I'll just get back up. The pessimistic person, when they get knocked down, thinks, oh, yeah, that's normal. I always get knocked down. And so it's just going to happen. So they think about when something good happens, the optimistic person thinks that's just normal. Where the pessimistic person thinks, oh, that's not normal. Now, when something bad happens for the optimistic person, it's the op. they think, oh, yeah, that's not normal. Where for the pessimistic person, when something bad happens, they think, oh, that's that's just normal. 
So it's that mindset between optimistic and pessimistic people where the optimistic sees things as positive and when something goes wrong, they just see it as an anomaly and they're able to kind of go around it. So mm. it's, I mean, there's so many of the people I talk to realize that, yeah, we're going to have a mistake. Something's going to go wrong. We're going to have a failure. That's not normal. And let's just keep moving forward mm. or pivot. Yeah. How about the risk? I mean, a lot of people are very fearful of risk. They don't like it. They're not comfortable on it. What, what did you find with your, your epic performers? Yeah. So fear is a reaction to risk and risk is real. If fear is a imaginary, you know, in, in some senses. I think a lot of times we overplay risk. Think about flying. You know, we probably all know somebody who's afraid of flying. Yes. Flying is one of the safest forms of travel, <laughs> which, which is just, it's crazy. But when there's an accident, it's a big accident and it, it's, it's the first story on the news. Yeah. But rarely does it happen. I mean, there were yeah. a period, there were a number of years where there were no fatalities on US carriers. I mean, it's like for years. And so people are afraid unrealistically of things. I mean, I always say, you know, to somebody that's afraid of flying is that your chances of getting hurt are greater as you drive to the airport than if you're on when you're flying. Because I probably it told is, that. Yeah, no, I mean, because it's so safe to fly and they have so many redundancies. Yep. So you were saying- I probably drive that to at least 10 people on planes before. Like, hey, you've already averted the most risk of your day. You're on the plane and you're safe. You got here today and you drove 75 miles, 20 miles, whatever it is. Like, this is the easy part now. And they're yeah. like, what do you- and I'm like, let me tell you how this risk works, man. Like you're in the safest place you can be right now. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, what are you talking about? But meanwhile, that's an hour long discussion. And by that time we've landed. In the we've time. landed, but you've got professional, you've got two, three, four professionals driving the, flying the airplane. Yeah. And that plane has so many redundancies that if, if one uh, engine goes out, you have another one. Yeah. You know, you can, and it can have, fly itself anyway. <laughs> and it can fly itself. Right. So, I mean, we overplay that risk and it goes to kind of what we started talking about early on with travel is, you know, I've traveled into Israel. I've traveled into Palestine, into Colombia in places that we think are risky. Yeah. You know, I was in Turkey and people think, oh my God, you're going to get hit by a terrorist. I was in Turkey and, and people go, oh, aren't you worried about a terrorist? It's like, no. I mean, your chances of, of something going wrong are because somebody's going to pickpocket you, not because yeah. you're going to get caught. So it's really being understand what's the real risk we're dealing with and understanding that. Yeah. I think that some of us caught up in the Hollywood of it all, like the, the yeah. made, you know, the made moment for TV and what's happened in the past there. You know, we believe that to be truth because, hey, if they made a major motion picture about it, like, like yeah, okay. But it's entertainment. It's not like, hey, this is based on a real story. Like, and it could be based on a real story that happened once. Like, right. This is not the norm. Like, this is not standard. I think I think we have a hard time of discernment regarding some things. And we're, we're hopefully we're going to get better at that. But Brian, so good to have you aboard, man. If you could leave the audience with one thing, if they're not feeling great today, feeling like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm losing. Things aren't going my direction. There's a lot of data to support. And I need to find a way to win. What would you tell somebody in today's environment? There is a lot of stress. There is a lot of political unrest. And there is a lot of things that we'd like to be different and easier, I think. But what would you tell someone out there? Yeah, you know, Trent, I think that's a, it's a good way to kind of end the show is try to put things in perspective. You know, you look at what other people are going through and, you know, you're still alive. I remember I was training. I was in the middle of a, a long training week where I had to do four 30 mile runs in a row. And on the third day, I'd already done two 30 mile runs the previous couple of days and it was hot. 
you know, it was going to be close into the 90s. And I was just whining to myself and feeling miserable. Yeah. And I thought, God, so I, you know, I, I could just turn around and go home. And then I thought of a friend of mine who was dealing with breast cancer. Mm. And I thought, you know, my situation, I'm voluntarily putting myself here. Yeah. And I can be home and sitting on a couch in no time eating ice cream and, and things will be better tomorrow. No doubt. Yeah. Her situation wasn't the case. So it's like, yeah. how do you put put things in perspective and realize that you know somebody's been through this, they came out of it, and may this may be a low point. I'm not downplaying what you're going through is hard. Yeah. But chances are you're gonna come out of it and you're gonna look back and kind of learn from that and go, Yeah, man, but I made it through. I love the inventory of what's going right. Because there's a lot, yeah. right? And then and, yeah. and that's good. And I also like the perspective that people have been here before and have, yeah. and have gotten through this. And I think that's a good perspective. So with that, Brian, where can they find you again? So you can go on to Epic Performances, E-P-I-C, performances with an S dot com and connect with me. You can connect up with me at LinkedIn. Always like to hear people's epic journeys. So yeah, I appreciate the time, Trent. All right. For everybody else, thank you for joining us on the Winter Sign Away Show every Friday, 1230 p.m. Eastern Time, 930 a.m. Pacific on the Leadership of the YouTube channel, Facebook Live, LinkedIn Live. And you can always find our podcast on all the major networks, Google, Apple, iHeart, Spotify. Find them, like them, subscribe to them. Can't wait to see you next time on the Winter. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.